When I was at, at high school, we had a teacher um, who all the kids used to call Cut Loose Bruce. Uh, never to his face, mind you. you. You'd never do that. Now, I actually don't believe that teaching was really the profession that Cut Loose Bruce should have taken up. Um, the slightest little thing would tip him right over the edge. Uh, something simple, even if he was just explaining a simple science problem in class and if a couple of the kids didn't get it and he'd have to explain it again or if somebody just wasn't listening fully, well, he'd grab something that he could hurl or throw or smash and his blood would rush to his face and he'd turn a bright crimson red. The, the colour of his face made it look like he should have had smoke coming out of his ears. And he'd go, sometimes I think your heads are filled with rice pudding. And he'd throw whatever he had or whatever. And one day he had a metre blackboard ruler in his hand. And with the word pudding, he smashed it down on the desk and it snapped in two. One day, sorry, the very next day, there was a brand new blackboard ruler in that classroom because the other one had mysteriously broken. And anyway, you guessed it, something happened that tipped Cutloose Bruce over the edge and his face turned the colour of a sunbathing Englishman six hours into a Queensland beach holiday. Sometimes I think your heads are filled with rice pudding! And with this brand new ruler, he slammed the desk and it broke in two and he looked at it and he slammed the desk with it again and very shortly that brand new metre ruler while he was left holding a quarter metre ruler in his hand. Now what sort of respect do you think Cutloose Bruce used to get from the kids? Well we were certainly scared of him, we were terrified, like he was actually a pretty big bloke to a kid and if you were anywhere near him when he went off, you didn't want to be there. But we certainly didn't respect him. He's still the laughing stock, isn't he? We're still laughing at him today. Now, you might not have anger issues quite to the extent of Cutloose Bruce, but it would be a very rare person indeed who doesn't sometimes get angry and then sin because of that anger. In Ephesians 4, it says, be angry and do not sin. So there is a righteous anger. You can be angry without sinning. Like God sometimes gets angry. God has a righteous anger. Sometimes it is right to be angry. But how do we tell the difference? Because I know about you, but I always feel that I'm the one who's in the right when I get angry. I have a right to be angry. That's the way I feel. We, 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 like to, we always feel that our anger is justified, whereas that other person's anger certainly is not justified. But even if I am in the right, when is it right for me to be angry about something and when should I push that anger aside and calm down and be at peace and be a peacemaker instead? Well, firstly, a bit of good advice is to consider, do you have control of your anger or is your anger controlling you? 
And if your anger is dictating your actions, if you're about to lash out and say something without thinking or without praying, if you're about to respond physically as an angry response, then there's a fair chance that your anger has control of you and it's leading you into sin. Someone once said, speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech you'll always regret. Now, how true is that, eh? Words are like shaving cream. Once you you let it out of the can, there's no way you can put it back in again. And as I look back over my life and relationships with people, uh, there's been a a few things that I've done which I wish I could take back. But more damaging have been the words that I've said when I should have remained silent. James said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, this is godly advice for godly living. Now, we've got to remember that this letter of James is a very practical book in the Bible. Next week, James is going to tell us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. James is teaching us right throughout his letter that faith and actions go together. And just as our actions should always be actions that spring from our faith, actions that accompany our faith, that go well with our faith, actions that cry out the love and justice and mercy of God, our words should be too. Our words should be words that spring from faith. Our words should be words that accompany our faith. Our words, the way that we speak, should always demonstrate the love and justice and mercy of God. So be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. What does it mean to be quick to hear? Well, it begins with hearing the word of God. We have to be quick to hear the word of God. Reading the word, hearing the word preached, the Holy Spirit revealing to us God's word, the wisdom of God being shared through other Christians, the gospel itself, the word of grace. We have to be quick to hear this. Secondly, being quick to hear means taking a genuine interest in other people. Listen to what other people are saying. Some of us were very keen to tell our own story, uh, but we never actually listened to what anybody else has to say. I remember my dad telling, telling a story about um, my aunt and, and one of her friends. They'd sort of get together and visit and they were always great friends. And he always wondered how, how on earth these two women could be such good friends because they both talked so much. But one day he sort of popped into the house while the two of them were talking and he suddenly realised how they're such good friends. This one was telling her story to this person and this person was telling her story to that person and neither of them was listening to the other person but they both had the opportunity to just keep on talking. And so they were just talking at each other about two completely different conversations and they were great friends because of it. They could just talk. But were they listening to the other person? Not at all. A wise man seeks counsel from others. Listen. Thirdly, 
hear what they're actually saying. If you disagree with it, or if you have a problem with what they're saying, or if you question their motivation for saying it, before you make any response to that person, gently test that what you understand them to be saying is really what they're trying to say. It is what they're really trying to mean. Or if they've done something and you're concerned with what they've done, inquire of them about their motivations. Ask them what they're trying to achieve in what they did. Fourthly, beware if you have a propensity to take offence. By my experience, some people have a natural propensity to see offence or to take offence or hear an offence even if the other person meant no offence in what they said or did. And sometimes the greatest givers of offence are also the ones who see an offence towards themselves at the slightest drop of a hat. And, and, and I've had people say to me, tell me how they've been so deeply hurt and offended by somebody, what they've said or done. And I'm thinking, really, you're offended by that? You should take a good hard look at yourself. And the deeply offensive things that you say to people and the deeply offensive things that you do to others and the amount of grace that other people extend to you. So if you find that you are someone who is often offended by what others say or do, you may be somebody who has a natural propensity to take offence where there really is no offence given. Now, this may mean that you need to take some extra time to hear what the other person is really saying and and checking that your understanding of what they've said or what they've done really is a true understanding or whether you're just perceiving something and and taking it as an offence when there really is no offence there. Be quick to hear. But be slow to speak. Now, if you're anything like me, um, you always want to put forward your side of the argument or you may be somebody given to retaliate quickly with angry words. Woo back. Okay, woo back there. Hold it back a bit. Be slow to speak. I've heard some people say, count to ten before you reply if you're feeling a bit angry. And if you're feeling a lot angry, well, count to a hundred. Well, I reckon we can find a much better use of our time than counting. How about taking that time to pray? And if you find that your emotions are getting the better of you and you just don't know what to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. If you're starting to feel anger rise within you, and you can't get the words out to pray to God to take that anger away, just pray the Lord's Prayer and see how that goes at, at um, getting your perspective right again. Be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. While the righteousness of God sometimes produces anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do you get this? 
The righteousness of God sometimes produces a righteous anger. But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We humans, most of us, are masters at self-justification. Now, I've got news for you. You don't need to justify yourself. The Lord justifies us. We should never justify ourselves. Self-justification is ugly. It is vile. It is deceiving. It's very easy to do. And we quickly give ourselves over to anger. We, we take the high moral ground and we feel that we're justified in our anger and so we claim it to be a righteous anger of God. Well, sometimes, occasionally, the Lord will give us a righteous anger, but I suspect that more often than not, our anger is exactly that, our anger. More often than not, our anger is human anger not anger coming from God. And as such, it is not righteous anger. But how do I tell? How do I tell whether this anger that I feel is godly anger or human anger? Well, one is self-serving and the other serves God. One glorifies self. And the other glorifies God. One grieves that it had to be expressed, whereas the other takes pride in its expression. Oh, I put so-and-so in his place. (laughs) One first gives warning and the opportunity of repentance, whereas the other just boils over almost immediately. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is really a lead in to what we're going to be talking about next week and again after Christmas time about being doers of the word and the impact that this has on our character and how we talk and what we do. James is telling us to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. He's talking about this word that seems to keep coming up, repentance. And we realise here that he's telling us to repent of acts that we are doing, things that we have done, not just attitudes, but things that we do, things that we say, we are to repent of. Living by the Spirit means we are constantly turning from our old ways. We are constantly putting off our old destructive way of living and we live the way of Jesus instead. And we're going to learn as we continue through James, one of the most destructive part of our bodies is what? Who can guess? The tongue. Yep. One of the most destructive part of our bodies is the tongue. Speaking too quickly, speaking instead of listening, speaking in anger, filthy talk. 
And here James is referring to it as rampant wickedness. How can you refer to words as being rampant wickedness? I can tell you I've seen it in churches. I've been a member in a few churches where the people of God have just been at one another and their words have been like daggers flying out of their mouths. Rampant wickedness, angry words, lying words, bitter words, a people founded in love but grounded in hatred. And that kind of behaviour has no place in God's kingdom, no place in God's church. Take it off, throw it away. Every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll be wearing a shirt and Robin says, take that off and throw it away. That's, that's, it's past it. That's just covered in stains and it's no good to you anymore. And of course, it'll usually be one of my favourites. And It actually happened this morning. She said, Michael, that shirt's got a hole in it. Apparently there's a hole at the back. And I said, well, you tell me that every time I wear it and you just have to patch it for me. Now, this is probably a good shirt and it will get patched. Please. But, but sometimes the best thing for my shirts are take them off and throw them away. They're almost grease rags, so they become grease rags. And that's really the image that he's talking about here. When he says to put off these things, it's like taking off some clothes that are just... Ugh, and throwing them away because... God gives us new, a new self that we put away. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James always brings us back to the gospel. Do you know the opposite of meekness? Pride. Pride is that thing which makes us justify our anger. It's pride that makes me want to always have the last word. It's pride that might make us have the first word on a matter. It's pride that insists, insists I've got to win the argument. But when you came to Jesus, there was no room for pride, was there? Was there? No. No. When you received the gospel, the good news of Jesus and the forgiveness in his name, there was no room for pride. We come to Jesus in meekness. How do you think we walk with Jesus? In meekness. Let the way that we live and the way that we talk, the way that we relate to others, always reflect the very meekness in which we came to God. When we come to God, we have nothing to bring. We come to God with empty hands. We are beggars before God. Why then would we ever try to portray ourselves as anything different to others around us? Let's pray. Lord, I find these words have a very strong ring of truth to them. But I also find them very challenging 
to implement in my life. Your word says to be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And Lord, we confess to you that at times and probably pretty often, We are slow to hear. We're slow to hear from your word. We're slow to listen to other people. We're slow to really fathom exactly what it is that they're trying to say to us. But we're always very quick with our words. Lord, give us the godly wisdom to be able to hold our tongue when it is right for us to do so. And Lord, your word says to be slow to anger. And Lord, we all have different sins that we're tempted by and I know that some here will be sitting here going, yes, I am way too fast to get angry. And others here, well, maybe we're not fast to anger. But Lord God, I just pray that you would help us to become these people who are slow to anger. Lord, that you would give us the meekness that we would be able to put away all pride, all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, what your word describes it as. That we would just be able to, I guess, be a blank canvas that you begin to paint your beautiful picture on, Lord, that you would be transforming us into a people of your character, a people who are of your love. I think about Jesus. There there was an occasional time where he would be moved to a righteous anger. But Lord, very often there would be times when he would have been to, in our eyes, perfectly justified in, in being angry, that it was fully within his power to, to, to smite those who were against him, but he did not. Lord, give us the love of Christ and help us to love our enemy. Help us to love our brother. Help us to love our neighbour. Help us to love our earthly brothers and sisters. Help us to love our parents. Lord, fill us with your love. In Jesus' name. Amen.